So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. So let me ask you this. Could it be that our careers are in no small part these lifelong battlegrounds where our creative side has to duke it out with our practical side? The more I talk to our amazing guests, the more I'm coming to believe that no matter how you slice it or dice it, that battle, that tension is real and for many of us, omnipresent. And what I love about this week's guest and longtime colleague of mine, Dr. David Rockland, is that he gives us a fantastic and very forthright view and perspective of how he's gone about navigating just that. As you'll soon hear, he very consciously picked one side over the other early on in his career and has pretty much stuck to it. Maybe ultimately it's just that simple that we just need to pick a side, or maybe it's not, but either way strikes me as a really interesting idea to think about. So without further ado, please allow me to introduce you to Dr. David Rockland. David, thank you for uh, taking the time to do this, for sharing your journey. My pleasure. Let's get started here. Question number one for you. Do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission or even what it is I'm meant to be doing here on this planet? Um, probably every day in terms of, um, yeah, a sense of doing, wanting to particularly as the years have gone on, make sure to leave a sense of legacy and a sense of um, having made a difference while here. Yep. Um, I think once you hit 50, you begin to, you know, and maybe you do it before, at least for me, it was around that time that uh, you begin to realize that you're not going to live forever and that you want, uh, when you go, uh, of course you want people probably to miss you, but probably... uh, (laughs) You know, and hopefully you've had people in your life who will, but uh, uh, probably more importantly, a sense that, you, you know, you, you made some sort of a difference while you were here. Yeah. And, and things were better because of you. When's the sort of earliest you can remember thinking about that concept? I would say probably, um, probably when I was graduating college. Yep. I mean, it probably was there in some form before, but... But in graduating college and sort of trying to decide what was I going to do career-wise, um, you know, a, a sense of wanting, you know, I, I have a deep, um, I guess, love for natural resource conservation and related topics. Yep. And so in, you know, coming out of uh, undergrad and debating whether to go to grad school, looking for some way to blend that feeling into what I then went to grad school for and then ultimately where my career would take me. Yep. So I'd say age 20, 21, somewhere in there, Nancy specifically. Got it. And um, 
for the benefit of the listeners, can you tell them what it is you do today? Sure. I presently run a, I guess the best way to call it would be a market research company that is part of a larger PR firm called Ketchum. And we are the largest market research group uh, in the public relations and communications industry. We're about twice as large as our nearest competitor. And we work with about 425 or so clients on just a whole range of different types of research and analytics and measurements and insights and planning and things like that. Great. So, David, can you walk me back a little bit? Um, that job that you're doing today, how you know, having a love for uh, conservation and natural resources, how does this job uh, relate to that or not relate to that at all? It may relate to it a little bit. My my, um, my sort of journey in terms of love for natural resource conservation, let's call it, you know, did begin with a PhD in a related topic and then working in a variety of jobs um, that connected very much to that topic. But over time, I, I became much more, I, I guess, I became good at, let's call it, or at least I think I'm good at, sort of two things. One would be analytics, and then the second would be communications of, of more difficult um, concepts and principles that come out of things like natural resource economics and econometrics and uh, and in the case of the job here, uh, you know, detailed measurement of different, the effectiveness of different types of communications. Um, and so at, at a point, probably in my early 40s, I, you know, I had done, I had worked in Washington. I had run a nonprofit foundation. I'd been on several boards, uh, such as the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. I was appointed to that by the first President Bush. I was appointed as president and CEO of National Environmental Education Training Foundation uh, during the Clinton administration. And I got to a point where I wanted that love and appreciation for natural resource conservation, making the environment and uh, natural resources better and, and, I, and used better and, and protected those that should be protected. Um, I began to take that on much more into my personal life yep. than my business life. So at times it was part of my job. Uh, and at times it's been, and then, you know, for the last bunch of years, uh, it's been much more part of who I am as a person and what I do when I'm not uh, working for clients and running a business. So it, you know, I think there are different ways, you know, if you have a deep love and appreciation for something, you know, some people say, well, you know, do that as your career and your job and the money will follow. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Right. And, you know, um, the ability to say, okay, it's part of my job now, so I get that, I get that fulfillment in, in the course of my work day. That's great. But, you know, you have a lot more time than your work day. So, you know, you can find ways to fulfill that outside your work day too. Sure. And so, David, what was your, uh, I guess, when you're in your 40s, or I'm sorry, whatever point uh, you decided to not make that part of your work, what was the calculus at that point? Why, why did that happen? I think a couple of things. One um, was a recognition, you know, a recognition that one can fulfill 
you know, there's passion, right? Now, there's what you're passionate about. Yep. And then there's also other things like I need to make money right. or <laughs> I have a wife and two children to put through college, which was right. certainly what I was thinking about a lot in my 40s. Um, you know, and so I think there are times in your life where different, you know, if you have a passion, if you have uh, a need to, you know, for more uh, tangible yep. uh, fulfillment in terms of a paycheck, um, in terms of, you know, doing right as a father, let's say, yep. uh, or as a parent or as a husband, um, you know, those things receive relatively different weights depending where you are in your life. And so I think the real change for me in my 40s uh, was I bought a farm. Upon moving to New York, I bought a farm on Maryland's eastern shore and ever since then have been engaged in basically taking that agricultural property and making it much more about natural resources and wetland restoration. And that sort of checked off for me, if you will, what I was deeply passionate about. Yep. So with that checked off, you know, I, I could focus my day job, if you will, on the other things that were very important, like my kids getting a good education and a good start in life, like being able to afford that farm yeah. and an apartment in New York, um, like traveling other parts of the world and seeing them. So, um, you know, that, that transition really took place because with the passion checked off on the personal side with my farm, I could devote other parts of my life and time to, um, to the other things that are important, yep. like it's college. Makes perfect sense. So let me ask this question from another angle. On a scale of zero to 10, where zero is a total non-issue and 10 is a big, dark, gloomy shadow, how large a shadow would you say that financial considerations have had over your career path to date? Well, first of all, I wouldn't necessarily, the way you've asked the question, so yep. 10 would imply that financial considerations totally dominate and they're terrible. Yep. Right? Right. I mean, and that finance is a gloomy thing. Um, so I have trouble answering your question. Fair me, enough. But let me, let me answer it a different way. In terms of how important has been making money and financial uh, freedom and the ability to do what I want to do, in the course of my life, it's been extremely important. So I'd put it in a nine or 10, but I wouldn't couch it as a gloomy nine or 10. I would couch it as, you know, um, I guess a combination of necessity, but also yep. appreciation that when you do make money, you do get to do and buy the things that you want. Fair enough. And that's, uh, I love that call out. Uh, my question to you, and that that question has a basis, right? Which is, it seems like a lot of folks get overwhelmed by finances pretty early on, and end up making career decisions based on that overwhelm. But it sounds like you had a very different mentality around it. You know, I think there are three kind of questions you ask yourself about how you structure your career and, and how you structure life in some respect. Um, and, and I'd love to tell you, I invented this myself. It's, it's out of the Jim Collins book, good to great. Yep. And in good to great, he defines companies that, you know, 
went from being just good to being great. But I think it's also a principle that's very true for people, too. And, and the three questions are, what are you really passionate about? Like, what do you love to do? Yep. And then another question is, where do you add the most value? Yeah. And value can be expressed as how big your paycheck is. And then the third question is, what are you really great at? Like, no one else is as good as you, or very, very few people are as good as you. And I think sometimes we get confused, and I see it a lot, you know, in, in I see it a lot when people are younger. They attribute this idea to the millennial generation, but I honestly... I think it's a bunch of crap. I, I, the baby boomers were thinking the same thing. That's right. And, and basically, you know, do what you love. You don't need to worry about money so much, which is the value part of those three questions. And I think at different times in your life, you strike balances and varying balances among those three things, your passion, what you're great at. And sometimes what you're great at is, is fulfillment, too, because you're good at it. So you feel good about what you're doing. You're great at it for that matter. And then at times, frankly, you know, seeking your most important point of value where value might be expressed, particularly as you get more senior in your career of, you know, where can I do something that no one else can do? Right. And where can I add value that others cannot add value in the same way or just different type or distinct type of value? I think you know, those questions all vary as you go through your career. And I think you're right. People do get hung up on the money side. I mean, I watch my own kids here in New York, both of whom, you know, have real good jobs now. They're they're both around 30. Uh, they're doing very well career-wise. And, you know, New York's a tough place to live, so money is an important thing. I think the things, the mistakes that people make, I mean, you can make a number of mistakes as you go through your life slash career relative to money that you then find yourself in a position of, like, having to worry about it all the time. That's right. I made a decision when I was coming out of, you know, going back to that sort of turning point around coming out of college. I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau. I wanted to get a master's and then a Ph.D. in marine biology. Yep. And that was what I wanted to do do and that was my love and my dad who's a college professor almost 50 years now at Rutgers he said yeah do what you want to do the money will follow yep. and I kind of believed that and I kind of didn't because at the time basically people were getting and there were tons of them. everybody wanted to be Jacques Cousteau right. you know you got a master's degree in marine biology took you two two and a half years uh, you'd come out you'd make this was in let's say the early 80s you'd make $10,000 a year on the other hand, if you got a degree, as I wound up doing in natural resource economics, uh, you'd come out, you make three times that amount. Yep. And to me, you know, I was getting married then. Kids were going to be on the horizon soon. The, you know, so I, very, I made very specific decisions about I'm not going into debt, number one. And number two, you know, in these early years, it'd be great to buy a house, you know, as, as young as possible. Uh, so I literally came out with my doctorate at the age of 25 and immediately bought a house. Yep. And that has helped, and that stability and that equity accumulation, you know, has helped me to be able to, A, not worry about money so much, and, and or make it a center point in my life, but also to, um, to, frankly, going back to your original question, to focus on things I am passionate about. 
you have a very practical approach to life. What would you attribute that to? Where does that come from? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to think your, your uh, premise here is true. Um, <laughs> I, I guess it, it takes two forms, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you both, or it comes from two places. Um, one is, you know, my parents are artsy, super liberal, super New York values, just to quote the uh, terrible Mr. Trump. And, um, or actually, I'm sorry, that was Ted Cruz, actually. It was not <laughs> Slither on Ted. Um, but, you know, and so probably as a firstborn son, you know, I, I'm, you know, I rejected that to become so, you know, and I'm going to focus on, I wouldn't, I'd say, I wouldn't say focus on money, but focus on being practical about life as opposed to being dreamy about it. Yep. Um, the other part, which is a little more specific, you know, everybody loves to blame your parents. No matter how old you are, you can blame your parents for something. Right. But, um, you know, I played in a, a band in the 70s that uh, I worked quite a lot, and we played out probably four or five nights a week. And... Um, you know, most of my friends and other bands at that time, everybody, and I play guitar, every guitarist I knew sort of either wanted to A, be Jimmy Page, yep. or, you know, grow your hair long, get in a band with a, you know, and play hard rock and be really fast and really loud. Now you're going to be a rock star. And or you wanted to play folk guitar and write, you know, sort of basically lame songs for your girlfriend, <laughs> which in the 70s was a great idea. It probably still is a great idea now. Right. And, you know, I was and actually still am a reasonably good guitarist. And I started, I met a group of guys who were music majors at uh, Trenton State, and they needed a bass player. So I didn't even play guitar. I played bass, which is sort of in the background. I really wanted to be in the front, right, like yep. Jimmy Page. And I said, you know what? Um... And these guys had an agent, and they had a truck and a bunch of equipment, and played, you know, were playing tons of proms and hotels and events and whatnot. And, and so the I made this sort of pragmatic or practical choice to forego a creative side. Let me either write dumb songs for my girlfriends or, yep. you know, let me try to become a rock star, neither of which were going to really get me very far. Or, frankly, you know, playing a band that helped me pay for college um, that, you know, everybody else was sort of, you know, rehearsing in their parents' garage. We were playing clubs all the time. Right. And again, and, you know, and the choice of songs even, you know, were not cool, exciting stuff like the Velvet Underground, let's say, just in terms of the 1970s. Yep. You know, or David Bowie. Um, but, you know, we're kind of standard songs that people dance to at weddings and bar mitzvahs and proms and whatnot. But because of it, we may not have been fulfilling ourselves creatively, Yep. but you know, it helped pay for college. It, uh, I had more money than any other, you know, senior in high school that I knew. Right. And so there was maybe early on that sort of practical thing of, Hmm, I like being able to take my girlfriend you know, to a really fancy place for dinner and not sweat the money. Right, right. You know, and maybe that sounds incredibly materialistic. And, you know, and I guess to an extent it it, it is. Um, but on the other hand, for me anyway, it's not happy true for everybody, but for me anyway, having material things wasn't the worst thing in the right. entire world. Do you look back 
with any regrets in terms of not having expressed your creative side more? Um, sometimes, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd be I'd be making this up entirely. And I don't know if it's not expressive, and so therefore now later in life I'm going to express it. I think I sort of, I sometimes think I took that gene out of my system somehow. Yeah. Um, and, and I have a, actually I have a brother who who did do his creative side. Um, he, um, first he was in Dr. Zhivago as a little kid, so he always, uh-huh. always had, he was the son, in, uh, Sasha in Dr. Zhivago, the That's movie. Awesome. And he, uh, you know, so he had that bug, and then he gets into his teenage years, and he decides he's going to be a ballet dancer. Yeah. He'd never danced ballet before in his life. Well, <laughs> right. he did become a pro ballet dancer. He toured with Joffrey, Royal Canadian wow. Ballet, was on the Atlanta Ballet. Yeah. He presently is the head of the dance program at Kent State University. So he did find a way to live a life, and he's got four kids, He's, you know, and they're going to college, and... You know, he did find that way to express his creative side, but at the same time, um, you know, build a career around it. Yeah. So I look at him and I go, hmm, that, you know, that could have been possible. Could I have been a rock star with the guitar? I don't think so. I was good. Well, you know, there's good and then there's great. And that sort of goes to that three-question idea. You know, yep. what are you passionate about? What are you great at? Like, I was probably passionate about playing guitar. Probably still am. Yep. I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. But was I great? Like better than anybody else? No. I was pretty good. You know, probably better than almost anybody you know, but I wasn't great. Yep. So, you know, I think that recognition sometimes of what do you, you know, you may be passionate about something, but damn, if you're not great at it, you know, don't try a career at it. Uh, let's say, and, and I'd say for my brother, one of the things that, that my brother did or, or perhaps recognized is there were, you know, male ballet dancers do not have to be nearly as good as the women ballet dancers, because uh-huh. frankly, there aren't that many male ballet dancers. Right. And he's good. I mean, I, I don't know if he's great. Did he become, you know, a principal with the Royal, you know, with the New York City Ballet? Probably never could have made it. Uh-huh. But he was good enough to do, you know, have a heck of a time with it and eventually build it into an academic career. So uh-huh. there are different paths. I guess if that makes sense. He got to the Joffrey. That's no small feat. Yep. In fact, he taught at the Joffrey this summer here in New York. So, no, he's good. I mean, he's <laughs> really, really good. Um, I mean, he's not really, really great now at 55, but, he, you know. Got it. But let me ask this question then from one other angle. Are you today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger? Um, you know, there's this implication in that question, if that's okay. <laughs> Go if, for if it. I, if I interpret your question, yeah. which is that one plots their career out methodically. As in, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, and by the time I'm 35, I'll be a vice president. 40, I'll be a senior vice president, and then I'll do this. And my career you know, flipped around from a lot of different things, always moving forward. Yep. In other words, each job was progressively more senior and and compensated more um but i i kind of wanted to and and looking back it's easy to you know revise history and say oh yeah i had a real great plan about this but you know 
I kind of wanted to and have been fortunate to experience a lot of different kind of jobs and a lot of different industries and, and, and uh, things that I never had a sense of where I wanted to be. Uh, you know, and that's where I got to be by this date, that date, the next day. Uh, I'm pleased with where we are. Yep. Um, you know, cause we is a marriage too, you know, marriage, <laughs> who you're married to and, and you, you know, what you're both thinking about and what you, where you want to be, you know, is, 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 I mean, you're married is, is particularly, uh, or, or with a partner is, is particularly important, but I don't know if I ever set like milestones to achieve in that regard. By the time I'm 60, I want to be this or 50 that or 40 that it was more like what kind of experiences Yep. Probably more along the way, and am I happy with the experiences? Yep. Let me fine-tune the intention behind the question. Was there um, – what was the earliest idea of uh, what you wanted to be growing up that you had? I think it was around – I was always – probably earliest was probably in, in, in high school, uh-huh. and maybe that band had a lot to do with it. Yep. Um I liked running a business. I liked a sense of entrepreneurship. Um, I liked uh, understanding how um, things work, whether it be things that are physical or um, or things that are maybe financial, like the economy. Yep. So I, I got a lot of gratification on that. And frankly, you know, if you're good at music, you're usually good at math. I mean, those things connect to each yep. other quite a bit. And so those things all seem part of a, 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 a path forward. Jumping around here for a sec, thinking back, David, on your career to date and on your friends, family, and colleagues throughout the years, has there been a consistent thread in the kind of counsel and advice that people have sought from you? Yeah, I, I guess to a degree, it's often about seeking meaning or purpose, much like you've asked about. Yep. Uh, and often my advice will go along the line of answer those three questions about yourself and see yep. where you wind up. Um, as an example, recently one of our employees came to me and said, I'd really like to uh, be relocated overseas. Yep. And I said, why? I think it'd be really cool. I said, well, how does that fit in with who you are and what you'd like to be doing as your life progresses? And why don't you answer those three questions and then let's talk about it. And so I think sometimes uh, some of the advice has been, you know, an employee or a friend saying, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. How do I know if it's the right thing? Uh, Another employee actually from your part of the country saying, hey, I'm thinking of getting my Ph.D., should I get a PhD or an MBA? And how do you answer that question for the person or help them? It's not you're going to answer it. You're going to help them come to their own answer by usually asking them some form of questions. So most of that advice stuff has to do with, you know, finding a path. And some of the advice I try to give is, you know what, don't think of the path for the next 15 years. Think of the path for the, the next um, year or two. Yep. You know, there's a whole field in mathematics about how do you go from A to B in short decisions. You know, it's plotting the whole path from A to B. Yep. It's really hard to do. Plotting a path that moves you in the direction from A to B in some sort of efficient or pragmatic manner is often the best path 
you can take at that moment in time Love that. because there's so much uncertainty about the rest of the path from A to B. That's right. If that makes any sense? It makes perfect sense. Much more tangible. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, if if you're if you're shooting at a target and the target is a thousand yards away and um you know, if you are off let's say two degrees when you shoot, that when you pull the trigger. Yep. In the first 50 yards, it doesn't matter that much, right? Yep. 100 yards, a little more. By the time you get out to 1,000 yards, that two degrees, that was a huge problem. <laughs> right. So maybe only make the two-degree decision in the first 50 yards, but just keep doing it all the time. And, and you know, uh, you, you find yourself on a path that gets better and better and better as you move along without the risk of getting yourself and expecting to get yourself on a path out the thousand yards or the 25 years that frankly you can't predict what 25 years from now is going to be like so why bother to predict right. what you're going to do the next year those are examples of colleagues in terms of families family and friends outside of work is there a particular thread in the type of counsel they've sought from you oh i'd love to tell you that my family and friends come to me all the time <laughs> and say oh you are the great guru of whatever tell me how to live my life uh-huh um, no, I don't, you know, I, I think as family and friends, you're often making, you know, life decision kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, things like, uh, you know, change jobs or not, uh, for my daughters, it's been a little bit about jobs, a little bit about, um, whether or not to move to New York. They both have moved to New York and I'm delighted. Love them. Love having them around. Um, it's been about, you know, how to deal with um, personnel issues yep, uh, or problems at work with them. You know, I mean, they're, uh, they're experiencing work things for the first time. And sometimes, you know, it's helpful to hear, you know, a voice say, oh, yeah, I've, I've done this three times. And let me not sit here and sound like the old man who's, oh, yeah, I've done that. I've, oh, you know. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I can fix it. I can tell you the answer, but to help them find the answer, I think is probably the most, the most help you can give a friend or family member is not tell them the answer. Help, and that's probably the way to say it. Help them ask themselves the right questions and, and, and it'll get them to an answer Yep. on their own. You know, if you tell them the answer based on your experience, I kind of feel they maybe, maybe in a way it's like that expression Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach him how to fish, he can feed himself for a lifetime. Right. I, I think in some respects, the best advice you can give is not give him a fish. Help yep. him teach, teach him how to make the decisions themselves. David, what do you make of the fact that, um, uh, I guess, the, all this, the advice you're describing uh, that people come up to you for seems to fall in the kind of sounding board counseling category. Where does that aspect come from why are people coming to you for that do you think consistently honestly i think it comes from a couple of places um first of all i have a lot of employees i do have kids right um you know so just there's there is a population there who sees me in some degree part of my kids don't but you know in a role of authority yep or experience um i think it maybe comes from uh, hopefully an attitude I try to convey of not being judgmental. Um, you know, not ever tell anybody it's a dumb question. They should know the answer. 
to something. Um, and, you know, for right or wrong, I mean, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but, you know, I, I'd like to think that, you know, here in my later 50s, you know, I've had some experiences. We're in a good place in terms of, you know, roles that my wife and I both have in our careers, um, uh, things we want to do, uh, flexibility and freedom of choice. Um, that, uh, you know, that maybe is helpful or maybe is seen as, yeah, I'd like to be in my 50s and be able to, A, decide if I want to retire now or at some point in the not-too-distant future or work for another 15 years. Right. And it's my decision. I don't have to do it. Right. Um, and I, I think some of those things um, help, you know, sort of create a belief that I could help someone give by, by helping them, in essence, help themselves. I don't know if it's true or not, but at least I think it gives off the image that that's possible. A couple more questions here before we wrap up. What would you say have been your biggest aggravations of your professional journey? And or uh, are there any dis career decisions you would today choose to undo or somehow redo? Well, I'll do a very specific one. Yep. You know, I was working for a trade association as their head of economics, and I was then becoming also somewhat of a lobbyist at the time. And I was having a lot of success at it. And I was approached by a magazine company who uh, produces, or produced at the time, I think they've since been sold, but a lot of the magazines I just love. Uh, Field and Stream, Outdoor Life, Saltwater Sportsman, uh, others that I enjoy, Popular Science, Home Mechanics, which I think became This Old House. And they had approached me about a job setting up a Washington office and uh, developing a whole program, basically working with the readers, there were 33 million, and the advertisers on conservation of natural resources. This was my dream job. And it, it was a dream job. I wound up in it. Yep. But it took them forever to make a decision. And along the way, basically, I was approached by a consulting company. I had a little consulting business on the side. And they did environmental stuff, and they wanted to add in environmental economics. And it was the expedient, because the Times Mirror, who I wound up working for, was taking forever. I did the expedient thing, and I took the job in hand, you know, the bird in hand. Yep. It wasn't a job I was going to love. Uh, it was not. Uh, it was just I knew I wanted out of the trade association. I sort of felt I'd done whatever I could do there. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and to that extent, once you've decided to move on, it's kind of, you should move on. Right. Um, but what I did in my move is I wound up first taking the job at the consulting firm and then no more than five weeks later, Times Mirror offered me the job and I quit the consulting firm after announcements had gone out of adding, you know, this particular discipline to this firm. And these were good people, nice people. Yep. And. I, I guess in hindsight is, you know, I took what I was okay doing for the expedient reason when the job I was going to love and also paid more, frankly, right. was sort of in the wings. And sometimes I think, you know, um, moving too fast can be uh, detrimental. And I, I regret it. I, I did these people no great favor yep. when I joined them and then departed. I know over time I've had people accuse me of 
an approach to things called, you know, ready, fire, aim. And I think they're probably um, right. I, you know, in the, in the sense of I periodically do make decisions where I get ready, I decide to pull the trigger because I'm impatient, and I discover maybe I could aim things just a little <laughs> bit better right. and thought about it a little bit more. On the other hand, I know tons of people who, you know, basically they aim forever and never pull the trigger. <laughs> right. So, right. you know, and usually people who've accused me of doing too fast are the same ones who basically never can do anything because they never can make a decision. So, right. Um, you know, that, that was probably one I regretted, you know, yep. particularly because there was something in the wings and it was getting close and all I had to do was be four weeks more patient. I wouldn't, wouldn't have, you know, done probably a little damage to a business that had been gracious enough to offer me a job and, and full of good people, frankly. Right. Last question here, David, knowing what you know today, how would you advise your younger self? Wow. That's a good question. Um, Probably the same in, in some respects, and it's maybe a little dull, but the answer to the last question, which is a touch more patience from time to time is not a bad idea. Right. Um, but you also have to choose when to be patient because there are times to be patient and there are times not to be patient. Um, being patient in dealing with an HR issue that you know is not going to work out is painful to you, your employer, and the employee involved. Yep. And sometimes you just got to deal with it. It's, you know, rip the Band-Aid off. You know, sharp knife hurts the least, cuts the fastest. But there are times where a little patience, letting things play out a little bit, um, makes sense. And so perhaps advice to my younger self, I was in this endless rush. You know, I was going to have my Ph.D., and buy a house by the time I was 25. Yeah. Sure enough, I got my PhD at 24 and a half, and I bought a house right after I turned 25. You know, I wanted to be able to retire very fast. I wanted to, you know, break this income amount or that income amount. I wanted to pay for my kids' college and have all the money saved for it. And it was these endless, and have been these endless goals. And sometimes I look and I go, hmm, maybe I should have slowed down a little bit, smelled the roses. I mean, if you're in grad school... You know, grad school is a pretty cool place to be. You don't have that many demands on your life. It's a nice lifestyle. You know, getting to work fast, maybe not the greatest of all ideas. <laughs> you know, once you work and you're working, and then you acquire all these things that you need paying for. Right. So I guess a little bit of smelling the roses um, makes some sense. I, I think both my wife and I have been on this track of... Let's get everything done so we can be in a position of kids healthy, kids out there, kids doing the job. We own our properties, mortgages paid off, and now we can really start smelling the roses. And I think there's a lot to be said for, and that's who both both of us are, frankly. And yep. and I think sometimes we go, you know, we the journey is just as important as the end destination. Yep. Uh, fortunately, the job I have now, which is a big part of this journey, it's been so for 16 years, has been um, not a bad journey to be on. Right. So you can have both. You know, it isn't like we just sacrificed everything to get to a place where we can have total freedom. But um, I think there are places along the way I wish I'd slowed down a little bit, been a little more patient. Yep. Not set these goals that, like, I look back and go, why did I want to have my Ph.D. at 25? Like, why was that a good idea? 
Right. Sounded great at the time. <laughs> but I, I look back and I go, geez, 26 would have been all right. 30 could have been okay. Well, Dr. David Rockland, thank you. Fascinating thank conversation. You. Really appreciate you being so forthcoming about it. You bet. Thanks for having me on your, your podcast. I really appreciate it, Gert. It's great talking with you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.